Uh, our church is part of a program in our community, and we are part of a community. We serve together. Many other churches also connect with as well, uh, the city also, uh, and the fire department. Uh, there's a need in our area for a new fire truck that's designed especially for firefighters in times of crisis where they provide oxygen, life-saving services, other needs that they might have during a, a great crisis. It's about a half a million dollars. It's not in the city budget. So we're joining with other churches to help raise that money through a special way called Hold It for 30. Hold It for 30 means that people are challenged to uh, simply try to do some kind of activity for 30 seconds and not breathe while you're doing it, uh, kind of like a firefighter might have to do in a fire or a crisis time. Uh, and if you can't, or you can, to make a donation. Suggest you 30 bucks. Give more or less if you'd like. Uh, but nonetheless, our staff came together, those who were available in the daytime anyway, all came together and did one of the first videos. It's on the city website as well. We wanted you to see that. You'll see more as the weeks and months go by. So here we go. Here we are, some of the staff from First Methodist Church Mansfield, excited to be a part of the Hold It for 30 Challenge. We're about ready to do a dance, 30 seconds without breathing for this great cause. And we challenge right now Dr. Mike Evans and Bethlehem Baptist Church. Challenge. We're also very happy to, to make a gift as well from our church family. So we're going to make this our first gift. There'll be many that follows this with our church family. So we celebrate that. Thank you for what you do and our gift to partner with this great community. Thank you. Oh, sure, sure. Hold it for 30. And you can applaud if you like. Go ahead. I'm not sure about applauding all the dancing, but the effort, nonetheless, you can applaud for sure. You might have noticed that Scott was up front doing his thing. I was in the back hiding from every part of that. I can't dance, he can. I, I laugh on occasion because you take Scott's personality and mine, somewhere in the middle you have a normal person. <laughs> kind of how we roll around here. Uh, but if you'd like to help, there'll be opportunity for you to do that, and we appreciate the, you, you being already making a gift because that first gift came from our church family as a whole, and I put that there for you and me and all of our many services here uh, to contribute to that great cause. Today we continue in the Deeper Life with God message series. We're talking about a shared life, how we journey to a deeper faith, a deeper walk with God, deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, is deeper uh, in, 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 in our Christian journey. We're about that today. And you might note, some here, that Pastor Caesar is not here. Pastor Caesar often helps lead our service. We thank Pastor Tina for being here today to lead with us. Directs our family ministries and children's department in our church family. Uh, but Pastor Caesar had a special celebration this weekend some might know about. 30 years ago, Pastor Caesar was praying for, play, playing football, offensive line, for the University of Oklahoma. 
Sooners is who they are. Yeah, thank you for doing that. I knew somebody went out here. Had to be at least two of you here today, I'm sure, uh, who spent time at that university. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, he was part of their Orange Bowl championship team that year with all many other players as well. They're celebrating this weekend their 30th anniversary of that Orange Bowl victory in that national championship. And so yesterday he went out on the field with the team and all many other players as well who were part of that 30-year-old team uh, came out. Uh, in fact, there's pictures of him with Brian Bosworth, for those that know who, who the Boz was 30 years ago. Some may remember him. He's very famous, made a few movies after that. Uh, certainly he was with Barry Switzer, uh, who was a coach in those years and many, many years. And you see in all that just, just such great smiles and joy in Caesar's face as he shares with his old teammates from 30 years ago re the reunion, the celebration, the applause, the memories. You see some very special moments that can only be had with those he shared those, those times with in those years leading up to that great victory in the Orange Bowl. And I think that's a great illustration for what the Christian life is like, what living for God and with God is like. It's about a shared life and around the term that I use and I believe in. It's not about me, it's about us. It's not about me, it's about us. Now, hear me now, we live in a me culture, no doubt about it. Very individualistic, very much me, our achievements, our successes, uh, our failures, our faults. It's always so much about just pointing right at me or to me or from me or about me. That has little to do with those who follow Christ. It's always about us. For one thing, there's no me, there's only us. We need other people. Other people need us. We begin that way, we end that way, we journey that way. The church is about that. We talk about community here today as we come together and try to serve our own community uh, through the Hold It, hold it for, for, for 30 and what that means. You know, I think it's wonderful to be able to, to hear, have people hear our stories, to be able to find a time where you can come and tell your story to somebody else or have them tell your story. And we love stories, uh, this victory, this success, this difficult time somebody overcame. But for us, it's not about hearing stories or telling stories. It's about sharing stories. We share the story of Jesus, of the Christian faith, of the kingdom of God, of what God is doing in and through the world, through in and through our lives. It's about that. It's not about me. It's about us. Because Jesus is our Savior, and He is the one that challenges us to follow Him. What does it look like to follow Him and what that means? Because Jesus came into our world for a very specific reason. He came to die for the sins of the world. That's the central gospel of the church. Came to die on the cross, forgive our sins, give us everlasting life, restore us to God, all the things that gospel core means. But to do so, he began in that great journey doing some amazing things because his philosophy was, and he had a philosophy, by the way, his philosophy was to be obedient to God. And that philosophy led him to jump into the middle of the lives of broken, sinful, needy people that always surrounded him. And he walked with those people throughout his life his life, 
and certainly the three years of his public ministry. Again, he came to die for the sins of the world. We know a story. He was born in Bethlehem, and the Word says he, he came to save his people from their sins. He had a big job. That's a big job. Now, you may think you have a big job. I may mean, think I have a big job. Well, he came to save the world from his sins, and that's a big job. You know, he, he, he began his ministry first by going to a mountain. We call it the Mount of Temptation where he, he faced the devil and he overcame the devil with that temptation and, and walked out from that place to, 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 to go eventually in those three years to die for the sins of the world. But the first thing he did after, after the battle of the devil and temptation, the first thing he did was, first thing he did was he picked 12 men to join him. We call them the 12 disciples. Later on, the 12 apostles. He picked those 12 men. I think it might be easier to have skipped that part and go right to the cross. Let's skip it. Let's skip these 12 guys in three years and go right to the cross, die for the world, and forget this very difficult season of walking with three, these three years of these 12 men. These men who we had all kinds of experiences with. Now, they were mostly fishermen. There was a tax collector. And there was a Judean there from Jerusalem with them as well. Uh, and in his story of walking with them, here's what happens. He's going to be abandoned by many of these men in that three years. He's going to be misunderstood by them all the time. They will get what he says wrong. They will question him numerous times. They will doubt him, even at the point of the cross. He will be betrayed by one of them, denied by another, and of course, abandoned by them all. Yet he walks with them anyway. He shares his life with these men, and many others as well, who share their broken, messed up, crazy lives with Jesus. Now again, that is the philosophy of the kingdom of God that Jesus brought to the world. And many Bible verses speak to that. We follow him, we adopt that philosophy, and so we find ourselves now living shared lives that often have the greatest rewards, right? Great rewards, great joyful moments, great support, and, and great help, and, and, and great joy like Pastor Caesar as they share the victory of, 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 of winning the Orange Bowl 30 years ago, the national championship, and they walk out on, onto the field now, and everybody applauds these old guys, you know, who did that 30 years ago, and they, and they join hands. That's not always the way that it was, let me tell you. Not the way it was behind the scenes, I'm sure, always in the huddle or in the training camp or in the, or in the room in the back waiting to come out or even during the game. It wasn't nearly as easy as it looks today as they shared that kind of life together. What it means for us to share life. Jesus said, you want to share, you want to be a Christian. You want to follow me. You want to live as a disciple. You have to share your life. Let other people share their life with you. A deeper life with God includes a shared life. That's where we are today. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says it simply this way. Let's think about how to motivate each other to show love, to do good works. Don't stop meeting together as, as w together with other believers, which some people have gotten into the habit of doing. Instead, encourage each other. There's a direction. I'm telling you, that's not easy to do. 
on either side of where we are in a shared life. That's difficult. It wasn't easy for Pastor Caesar with his team to win the Orange Bowl. And a lot went into that with the men that he went on the field with. And now they celebrate how they were able to achieve that. Sharing a life is difficult to do. It would have been easier if Jesus had not said, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to go right to the cross, die for the world, and get on to heaven. I'm, I'm going to sin right now. Forget this. Forget these people. To share my, they're going to do this, and they're going to say that. They're going to act this way. It's going to be difficult. They're going to be stubborn. They're going to be very human the whole three years. Hey, of course they are. That's who they are. It's like you are and I am and how God decided us to live. The best life is the shared life. You know, marriage is certainly a, a piece of that, a picture of that. But in my own marriage, I understand that in our, our four, almost 41 years of marriage, that we have shared life together. We have shared memories, shared experiences, shared great days, shared not so great days. Shared moments that we celebrate still, shared things that we sometimes think, maybe, I wish that hadn't happened. Yet that shared life makes our life together what it is. We can't imagine not having those things because there are things that only my wife shares with me and I with her. No one else does, just us. No one else has that. And those guys walk out in the field, no one else has that but them. And so there they are. No one else has this but us as people who come together on the good news of Jesus Christ. Each one of us saying, Jesus, save my soul, forgive my sins, bless me, help me, strengthen me, I need you. We do it together as a church and we share that. How significant that is in our own journey as Christians and for some maybe soon to be Christians. The passage that we read, I'm going to go through with three questions that come from that passage verse by verse. And the question we should ask ourselves is on your message page if you'd like to go through that a little bit later. But the first part of that is, how do you see yourself? You've got to start with that kind of framework in your own journey. The verse says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Which to me means... Don't think you can get through life by yourself, that you are enough, that you are sufficient, you are not. You need God, you need other people, that's the way it is, no matter what we think or feel or wish it was or it wasn't. So how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as someone who needs other people? It's hard to admit that sometimes. I do need people. I need people in my life, I need people in my family, I need people in my journey, people in my church. I need Jesus, of course. I am a person designed around need and God may be that way. So how do you see yourself? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think because disaster is imminent if you do that. Second question, what part are you playing in God's kingdom story? And that's verse 4. What part are you playing? The verse says, for just as each of us has had, of us had one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So God's kingdom is made up of us. And God calls each one of us, and each of us has a place in that kingdom, not one better than the other, higher than the other, more significant than the other, because it's always about us anyway. It's never about me, so it makes no difference. And to use the illustration of the, of the dancing part there in that video, Scott seems like he can dance. I assume that's what was going on out there. You know, he can bring that. I can't but I can get up there and say a few words. So we each put our part into that and the rest come together and there we go. And life is like that. Now thirdly, who do you belong to? Verse 5. If you don't hear anything else, hear this one verse. Who do you belong to? So in Christ, we, though many, form one body 
and each member belongs to all to the others. song we sang says that so beautifully. That to say in your own life that you say what it says, I don't belong to me, I belong to you. I belong to my wife and family. I belong to many other people. I belong to the community I live in. I belong, of course, above all to God. To have that, that framework of I belong to instead of what belongs to me is a huge, a tremendous shift in how many of us think in our lives. We define life around what belongs to us in our culture. This belongs to me. This belongs to me. She belongs to me. He belongs to me. This church belongs to me. Instead of, I belong to the church. I belong to those who are around me today in worship. I belong to those who lead our church, our pastors. I belong to my family and even my community and my country. I belong to is how Christian life is designed to be understood, lived, and assimilated. And it changes everything when we understand that about ourselves. So can you say, how do you see yourself? What part are you playing in God's kingdom? Who do you belong to? Now we understand what a shared life looks like and the richness of that life. And again, I love those pictures. I, I wish I'd have bought them. I thought sooner about it, I would have, of Caesar there on the field and enjoying these friends for 30 years that he hadn't seen in a long time. They just renewed that acquaintance because they went through that travel together there, moving that orange bowl. Well, there are a number of points I want to build, build upon what we've already said. So if you bear with me in sharing those few points about the shared life. A shared life is never boring. It's never boring. It will always be interesting, exciting, and new. And that's simply the nature of a shared life. People will take you places you wouldn't go otherwise. You'd be called to live in ways you never would live. You, you will experience things you never would experience without sharing your life with other people. In the church, community, certainly your family, marriage is certainly that. You know, in my own relationship, Ron has taken me places I never would have gone, I, things I never would have done, people I never would have met, a life I never would have lived without her because that shared life has brought me to those places and I've learned to appreciate that, celebrate that even if it occasionally means a sacrifice. Other times, not sacrifice. But that shared life is never going to be boring. It'll always be interesting, exciting, and just, just cooler than cool if you see it as a reward and a joy and a good thing and not a sacrifice or a negative thing because it will demand things from you. Sometimes we don't want those demands. Secondly, a shared life forces us to grow. People we interact with will make you grow in your life and your faith. Certainly that's true of the disciples as they interacted with each other. In that place called the church, called the family, community, marriage, many ways it's lived out for you and me, especially the core being faith, that I have to grow. I have no choice but to grow in those experiences I have with other people. It makes me grow. Sometimes that's painful. Sometimes it's difficult to do. Scott talked about that and, and what, it, what it is in our life together in the church and choir and leading for 14 years is part of our journey. It makes us grow. And that's a good thing. It keeps us being static and stagnant and even dead. Even though it's demanding and it pushes us and it leads us and it, and it guides us, even forces us, but it's okay. That's why Jesus lived that way. And he said, you live the same way. So he chose that journey. He says, if you follow me, you have, you have to choose that journey as well. Third point, a shared life allows us to use our gifts for others. The passage says that directly. That the gifts you have, hear me please, don't belong to you. 
I've already mentioned the fact that we often in our world think of things that belong to us. Well, this belongs to me, that belongs to me. My life's defined by what belongs to me. Well, that's not, the, that's not Bible at all. That's not the Christian life at all. It's simply a matter of my gifts belong to other people. And so if I can do something small, no matter what it is, then belong to me, it's for others. It's for my family, my, my neighbors, my church family. It's for you, it's not for me. And so we think of it that way. But also, in the, in the second part of that, a shared life also allows us to, others to use their gifts for us. They give their gifts to you and to, and to me and to us and all the ways we interact with other people. This is, this is the kingdom of God. This is the Christian life. This is following Jesus Christ. This is belonging to God. This is wanting to be obedient to the Christ who saves us. Because finally, God designed us for shared living. He designed us for shared living. He made us the way we are. He made us where we need other people. And I'm one of those people that can spend time by myself on occasion and be okay for a while. Remember some years ago, I made the decision to whole week by myself. I was a whole week just me. Not the stresses and strains of thousands of relationships and church members and even family. I'm going to go do that. And so I I did that. And and I was okay until about the third day. And about the third day, I thought, okay, three days is as far as I can get. I'm going to go shopping. This is on a retreat, by the way, uh, out in East Texas. I'm going to go shopping. Why? I needed nothing. Needed no food. Didn't need socks. Needed nothing. I just wanted to see some people at the store. And so I kind of tarried at the register line because I, I realized at that point, you know, Mike, you do need other people. How many people you know? And so that's how God made us. We can't deny who we are. God designed us for shared living. Paul, uh, a man named Paul, told the story a few days ago. Paul is 36 years old, and Paul has been diagnosed with terminal cancer. He's married. He has two kids. What do you do? How do you respond? What are your choices? Uh, how do you handle that journey of life, which is a week or two or a month or three months or six months? He didn't know exactly how long. His response is, he said, I, wanted to leave a, I want to leave a legacy to my family and friends and people around me. Here's one thing he said. He says, please quit wasting time on negative thoughts. Let your perspective change. It worked for me. There are so many people, good people, to see around you. You know, I like that. He said, what do I do? I'm going to die in a month or two or three. Look at all the people around me. I want to see them. I want them to see me. That's a legacy I want to leave, including his family, certainly in that journey. And beyond that, he says, and also knowing that one day everlasting life will come and we'll be reunited there in that place we call heaven that God offers us. And the words that, Jesus, that the Bible says, and therefore shall we always be with the Lord. That's his frame of reference for death coming sooner than anticipated as a 36-year-old young man. It's about a shared life, however long or however short. It makes no difference. When we think about life, we think about stories. And we often say, well, I talk about my story. Well, let me tell you, there's no such thing as my story. There's no such thing as my story. There's only our story story. Think about it. You can't tell your story without other people being part of it. There's only our story. The story of the church for 2,000 years. 
story of Jesus and his disciples, story of family and friends and, and neighbors and parents and brothers and sisters and church family. It's our story together, and that is the journey of those who want to grow deeper in their faith in God, it includes understanding that and investing in that place allows us to go deeper into our faith in God. Today's what we call World Communion Sunday. In a moment, we're going to receive this holy sacrament in our church today, but not us alone, because you don't come by yourself. You come with all those who receive with you. We come together in the same place, the altar of Christ. We're joining churches around the world over about a 12-hour period, depending on time zones, where they are, We'll be receiving this sacrament today with you. Presbyterians and, and Baptists and, and, and Methodists, other Methodist churches and Episcopalians and Catholics all around the world. Thousands of different languages, nationalities, and ethnic groups are coming together and they're all coming to the same place with you to receive the holy sacrament of Jesus Christ. My body broken, my blood shed. You don't come alone. You come together and God receives you together. It's just not about me. It's about us. It's not my story. It's our story. A shared life is how we grow deeper in our faith in God. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you today for our stories. Thank you for our lives. Thank you for this holy sacrament of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask you, God, to bless us in receiving it. Yes, God, certainly wash us of our sins, open our hearts to receive what you have for us in your broken body and shed blood. And remind us, God, when we come to the altar, we don't come by ourselves. We come with spouses. We come with kids and parents. We come with brothers and sisters. We come with neighbors and friends. We come with those we know well, those we don't know at all. Come with people around our world, millions of who come today, who recognize their need of Jesus, as we recognize that so clearly today. In whose name we pray, amen.